Hello and welcome to episode 53 of The Worst Critics, where we talk to you about the latest and sometimes not so greatest of movies, music, television, and more. As always, I'm Noah Davis. I'm John Pino. And we'll get straight to the news. You know how we start with casting news? Anadarmus is in talks to play the ballerina in the John Wick spinoff, The Ballerina. Uh, it was a character, I think, in John Wick 3 Parabellum. But Anadarmus didn't play that character, but the spinoff movie will be about said character. So, you know, whatever. Um, I only marked this one as me wanting to talk about it because this is going to be something I repeat multiple times throughout this newscast. Can we get original IPs and stop with the spinoffs and the sequels? I'm fucking sick of it. No one wants... This goddamn Matrix reboot that I saw a commercial for. No I don't one wants know. fucking goddamn John Wick, which is just the Matrix but shittier. Like, just stop. Wow, some hot takes here. All right. Uh, <laughs> I mean, listen, I'll say that the John Wick spinoffs are kind of stupid because, you know, it's called John Wick and not, you know, the universe of John Wick. But I will defend the Matrix reboot. That one, I mean, I'm kind of hyped for it. I shouldn't be. I know I shouldn't be. The Wachowskis haven't made a good movie in a long time. Looks uh, so bad. But I'm into it. I'm into it. it I looks mean, let's go. So painfully bad. Uh, Yahya Abdul Mateen as Morpheus looks awesome, and that'll be worth it just for that. So yeah, you can tell me but... whatever you want. Leather is back, baby. You heard. We're doing leather trench coats again. Everybody's gonna start wearing sunglasses gonna bleach tips you know classic early 2000s matrix style moving on hocus pocus 2 adds hanny hannah waddingham who you might know as the club owner from ted lasso and i think she won some emmys or a couple emmys this year for that role and they did cast other people but i don't know who really cares i think she's great so we're gonna talk about her why are we getting a sequel to Hocus Pocus? Stop with the sequels of IPs that need to be in the fucking... Like, like that's, a, that's an all-time Halloween movie. You're just going to ruin its legacy by making a shit spinoff with now modern actors and actresses. Well, they're getting the original people, Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker, all that, but... That might make it worse. Yeah, oh yeah, it definitely will. <laughs> because now the witches are just gonna be kind of old now you know when they're the whole story of the witches was them turning back to like the same age so it's kind of weird that now time will have progressed for these characters so that will be weird i'll admit that one but i know you love reboots so talking about the apparently newly announced garfield reboot has cast chris pratt to voice Stop acting, and we need to stop rebooting i'm glad we can continue this conversation three pieces of news in a row Chris Pratt needs to, um, I don't know what he needs to, but I just, you know, I'll give him a pass on Mario. I feel like I can imagine him trying his best to do Mario, be a happy-go-lucky guy, but Garfield? I don't know. I don't know why this is, like, more offensive to me than him playing Mario, but it kind of is. He doesn't give me the sarcastic Eeyore vibe that I think everybody is accustomed to, but uh, who knows? I guess we'll see next year or in two years when Sony finally puts that out. Robert Downey Jr. and Matt Damon have been cast in Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer movie that we've been talking about for the last two weeks. Uh, they have they are playing unnamed roles. We don't know anything about it, but I don't believe they've ever been in a movie together, let alone worked with Christopher Nolan. So it's kind of a double whammy in the news section. I'm excited for this movie, but now I'm less excited because, like I said since the last duel, I want Matt Damon to stop acting. So yeah, uh, you know what? I'll actually Matt Damon agree. in this. I don't. I'm the least hype I've ever been about a Nolan movie. Actually, I was even a little bit excited for Dunkirk because I thought he might do a war movie right on my book, but uh, no, Dunkirk was a piece of shit, and fuck all you that like it. Wow, okay. Uh, <laughs> just... well, I'm coming for throats today, yeah, by the way. Jesus, so... <laughs> you should have warned me beforehand. God. Uh, but I, you know, I will agree with the Matt Damon thing. Like, Chris Pratt, I don't think, has had enough time to really solidify my indifference to him, but Matt Damon really has. He's definitely had plenty of time for me to go, eh, whatever. Uh, so I hope he's just a side role, some American who hires Oppenheimer, you know, World War II stuff. But uh, moving on, Gal Gadot is to play the evil queen for Disney's Snow White live-action reboot, because we're on a roll with the reboots today. Uh, I... I, I 
don't really care for this because they literally had a Snow White reboot eight years, nine years ago. What was a uh, Mirror Mirror? Uh, I, I I don't know if that counted, but that's when we were getting that movie and Snow White and the Huntsman the same year. So now we'll have another one because money. I'll repeat myself for one or two more times, but stop the reboots. Also, separate piece of related me hating reboots and hating um, certain actors and actresses. I actually really like Gal Gadot. Yeah. However, I've said this before, I'll say it again. Once you play a huge Marvel superhero, with the exception of Robert Downey Jr., because he's GOAT. DC. Uh, please stop, whatever, stop playing a superhero, period, is what I mean. Um, you're just done. You're typecasted. Unfortunately, you're that person until you die, and that's the way it will be, okay? Tobey Maguire, where has he been? He's Spider-Man. That's it, okay? That's true. He did fall off the face of the earth. <laughs> he was in that so, He was in that one movie, that uh, uh, Brothers movie, that was like a thriller about a guy returning from Afghanistan, and that's the only post-Spider-Man movie I could tell you off the top of my head. He was... I keep thinking of Elijah Wood. I know that's wrong. So, but uh, he was in that Brothers movie, and that's that's all I can think of, honestly. So he must have made a fat paycheck from Spider Man, invested it wisely, maybe had a financier or anything. But uh, yeah, you know, Gal Gadot playing an evil queen type. I'm gonna have a. It's gonna be kind of a hard sell until I see it in action. But uh, I wonder how they're gonna do the whole transform Gal Gadot into a creepy old lady. I feel like that's going to be a little hard. Uh, I'm sure they can figure it out, but whatever. Moving on, Sofia Vergara to play drug queenpin Griselda Blanco in Netflix limited series. It'll be six hour long episodes. Uh, I think it's technically six, like 50 minute episodes, but who's counting? You know what I'm saying? This is what I loved about reading this because I wasn't going to comment on it, but it makes it sound like the way it's written. It's six hour long episodes and you're like oh my god (laughs) like why are they gonna do episodes that are six hours long like who's gonna fucking watch that that'd be crazy that'd be netflix's like new way of telling stories that'd be netflix's queeby right there uh but the opposite (laughs) speaking of queeby uh make sure that you get your official queeby uh the worst critics merch uh Come into a store twenty twenty five or so. I think Roku might sue us now. We can't we can't make that joke anymore, man. Roku owns it, so uh, we gotta watch out for the Roku lawyers. No, we'll just we'll just own we'll just own Roku. Easy peasy. <laughs> wow. Okay, <laughs> we'll own the fourth biggest streamer in America. That's easy peasy. Women's. I mean, they're not top three. That's all I'm saying. So. <laughs> okay, moving on. Daniel Day Kim, who you might know from Lost or the Hawaii Five O reboot, is to play Fire Lord Ozai in Netflix's live-action Airbender show or Avatar: The Last Airbender show. Should I say it? I don't think Can you have to. Rebooting TV and movies that are iconic, especially when the previous live-action of this show sucked so much balls. I mean, it was so bad. Well, hopefully so they don't pull a Shyamalan and ruin the source material since they have a whole show uh, to work with. And I think that'll be the big thing is that they have a lot more space to operate with. And Netflix, no offense to M. Night, is uh, way, way, way bigger. And I don't know what the big production group was with behind that Airbender movie. I, you know? It wasn't legendary. If it was legendary, that's going to be such a weird thing. But no, I, I've... I couldn't tell you that. That's probably a little pre-legendary. So uh, before they came into the forefront of dark, big action blockbusters. But uh, no, I actually don't know who produced that one. I assume um, Nickelodeon co-produced <laughs> it. So maybe CBS Viacom Paramount. Yeah. So Nickelodeon produced, distributed by Paramount. Nice, nice work there. Yeah, detective work. You know, at its finest. Uh, the worst detectives. That's our show. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it'd be probably a less fun show, but whatever. I, you know, Daniel Dickham's a great actor, so I'll look forward to seeing him play this role. I think, honestly, I think this all rides on Netflix's Bebop live action show that comes out next or in like two weeks. Uh, I, I really just think all of their live action adaptations are going to rely on Bebop because if it's bad, then, you know, how are they going to make Airbender any better? So, uh, yeah, moving on to some new TV and movie announcements. John Woo's next movie will be titled Silent Night. 
is about a father avenging his young son's death due to the father's involvement in a criminal underworld. It will star Joel Kinnaman and have zero words of dialogue in this movie. Could be interesting. I'm trying to think of the last couple silent movies, and the only one that really sticks in my mind is The Artist. There you go. <laughs> which is single-handedly the greatest piece of cinema ever produced. Uh, you mean Best Picture winner? Yeah, obviously Cat, because that shit is so trash. <laughs> it's so bad. Oh my god, is it painful. Um, And honestly, besides that, I genuinely can't think of another silent film, or at least a movie with very, very limited dialogue. I think the only one since then that's been any decent is The Quiet Place. Um, And now yeah, franchise, but... I guess, Quiet Place, but... Uh, you know, I mean, I'm curious what John Woo is able to do with this, because I think while his movies may not be the deepest and the best things you've ever seen, not like master class of cinema, but they're usually fun rides and he has a lot of experience in audio design. So I think that's where this movie might shine. I think action scenes without any dialogue and just like gunshots and whatever and slices very, uh, I mean, there are a couple of scenes in John wick, you know, that were just long drawn out action scenes. So I hope that's just a whole movie of that. Uh, but uh, we'll see when that comes out next year. Uh, apparently, Seth Rogen will be reprising his role in a Donkey Kong movie that is set to come out in the next few years. There's no actual details on this, but Seth Rogen is in talks to star in a Donkey Kong movie. Uh, yeah, I don't know, man. Uh, if this if this takes off, I think we're going to have a really weird view of Nintendo characters from now on. I don't, like, what's his appeal with all these, like, childhood thing? Like, we haven't even gotten the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle thing he's going to be doing, and now he's already doing another Donkey Kong thing on top Whoa. of it. I'm like, can we stop with the animated children's stuff for just, he's like, a brief moment? He's producing TMNT, to be fair. I thought he wrote it. No, he's just producing it. He won't star in How certain of you are, are you of that? I'm not 100% sure, but I would just, I, I don't know. I don't know, man. Uh, I'm not certain of anything anymore because I didn't predict Seth Rogen being Donkey Kong ever at all, maybe. Uh, it's fine. You know, I guess he, he'd be fine. You know, if I could name all the actors to play Donkey Kong, he'd, he'd probably be in the list. So uh, whatever. As long as the movie's good, I can't really complain about Seth Rogen himself. But did you figure it out? Uh, just as he's producing along with Nickelodeon, but I just remember seeing some kind of like spoiler thing. So I'm not sure. I don't know. I, I can't confirm that he's doing anything other than producing, but for some reason I f still feel that way that he did say he was writing it or something because I feel like there's a reason outside of he wanted a new TMNT movie done that he's putting his name with it. You know what I mean? Wait, is he doing the new movie or the new show? We've talked about both on here, and I'm really getting my wires crossed. He's doing the movie. He's doing the CG movie. Got it. And then we're getting a 2D show or something. Uh, there's right. a lot of yeah, TMNT. There's too much TMNT on. news. Yeah. And there's too, there's too many Nintendo movies. I mean, this Donkey Kong, we had fucking Mario and gang. Like, what? what's... The MCU, dude, the Mario Cinematic Universe. It's going to be <laughs> intertwined. Uh, Peach's backstory is really going to be built upon ten, like six years after her character dies in the movie, so no one will care. Uh, Here's what I would want. If they're going to go this people. route with the Nintendo Cinematic Universe, it should be like a true Smash Bros. Cinematic Universe. That'd be cool. I mean, you know, I would actually really like an animated Zelda movie now that we're just spitballing here, but uh, I think that'd be really cool. Anyway, let's yeah, move anyway, Yeah, moving on, Broken Lizard, the production company behind Super Troopers and Beer Fest, to name a few, has started production on Quasi or Quasi. Maybe that's a part of Quasi. the... Quasi, yeah. That's a part of the pun. I don't know. It'll be a satirical take on the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Notre Dame? Notre Dame? Which one's the correct way of saying that? Uh, depends on if you're doing the American or the French. Gotcha. Well, I guess we're doing the French. So Probably Notre Dame. Notre Dame. Okay, whatever. Hunchback of Notre Dame will be produced by Hulu. Apparently the Pope is involved in the plot. So Broken Lizard going to be making fun of Hunchbacks and the Pope. Can't wait for this very sensitive comedy to come out. Uh, I don't think they've put out anything good in... 10 year, 20 years when did super troopers come out 
So, well, beer Fest was good. Calm down. Calm down. Beer Fest was good. The first I time mean, you watched Beer Fest, was it the first time you watched the first Hangover? No. But was it funny? Was it different? Yeah, it was. So. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. But did you see Super Troopers 2? Did you see Euro Trip? Yeah, okay. Super Troopers 2 is probably in the same realm. It's, no, I'm saying it's in the same category as those movies. But if you put Beer Fest next to Euro Trip, I go, not even. Not even remotely I guess close. not. I guess not. But Super Troopers 2 was so bad that I just erased Broken Lizard from my memory bank. But moving on, Taika Waititi is to direct and adapt the graphic novel The Inkle, which was writ- originally written by Alejandro Do- Jodorowsky, who I love hating on. Uh, but the graphic novel looks cool. I don't know what it's about. I don't know anything about this thing. Uh, Taika Waititi is always going to excite me a little bit or build up some hype. So you ready we'll for see this? That. Yeah. It's an epic space opera blending fantastical intergalactic voids, science, technolo- technology, political intrigue, conspiracies, messianism, uh, mysticism, poetry, debauchery, love stories, and satire. It includes and expands concepts and artwork from the abandoned film project of Dune directed by Jodorowsky. Wow. So we're getting, I, was, uh, I was literally about to say, where's Arrakis? Dune. We're getting Taika Waititi's Dune is what we're getting. Uh, sounds a lot more fun than what we got last week, honestly. Uh, you know, I, whether that's going to be a better movie or not, I'm not sure. But I say something completely random? Huh. I, I don't know why this spawned the thought. I'm just looking at the artwork for the Inkle, or the Inkle. I'm not sure which way I think it's, it's pronounced. Inkle, but, I but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Um, and it looks like a Wes Anderson project. And I went... I want, like... Do directors ever do collabs like that? Like, no, what if we got like a really Taika cool. Waititi, Wes Anderson, like you know, like collab album, but a movie? I think the I think only just way so much more expensive. The only guess, way you can make that work. Well, I don't even think it's that. I think if a director really wanted to do something, they could. And I feel like a production company would be a okay with having two A list directors. But whatever. Uh, the only thing I have with that, I think they would have to do like one director does one half of the movie and then one director does the other half. Because if you just have two heads together, it's going to come off as half-assed of both. So I, I I really do think the only, you know, honest way to do that would be, okay, this chapter is this director, chapter two is this director, and, you know, they work off that. But uh, I think that'd be really cool. I think more genres and mediums should have collaborative projects just like music does. Uh, you know, I mean, I mean, that'd be cool. But moving on to reboots and sequel news, The Boondock Saints 3 is apparently happening with original cast and director. Uh, That second one was just a rehash of the first one, so I don't really care talking about this. Moving on, Law & Order Revival is officially happening at NBC. It went off the air back in 2010. This new revival will star Jeffrey Donovan, who you might know as the main character in Burn Notice. Uh, He's apparently playing a cop, and that's all we got. It's going to be Law & Order. You get it. You get the gist. Watch it or don't. Yeah. Yeah. Moving on, Heels has been <clears throat> renewed for season two at Stars. This is the wrestling drama starring uh, Stephen Amell, one of the Amell brothers, uh, the Arrow dude. And it's been renewed for season two. I've yet to watch it, but, you know, re- wrestling drama, I, there's there's room for that. The wrestler was good, you know, Mickey Rourke. Moving on, Always Sunny's season 15 premiere is set for December 1st, and that is next month, really. And this will be... Uh, what the longest running live action comedy show i think once season 15 premieres i think it'll finally break that record and we'll finally see what uh you know what they've been cooking up during covid in the last year or so so you know always excited about always sunny it's going to be awesome i have no doubts in my mind i feel like it's one of the few shows that has really like outdone itself i don't necessarily think that the old seasons are worse, hmm. but it's like the characters have become so iconic in the ways that they behave. Like they write so well for their characters that they can literally do any episode. They can do anything. It could be like the gang goes to the White House and it's going to just be amazing. And they could do the gang dumpster dies. And it's going to be amazing. You know what I mean? So it's just like, I'm so hyped for this. Yeah, it's one of the few shows where I think flanderization has been a positive spin for the show rather than a negative and you just hate all the characters. Uh, you know, it it's like the comedy got better 
the more the flanderization happened to the characters. You know, whether their actual points got better or not, what have you, who cares? But it, it just seems like it has gotten funnier and more just over the top, which I don't know. That's kind of nice. That's kind of the, that's kind of par for the course with this show now. And I'm used to it, you know, and moving on to our last piece of news, according to CNBC, Bagdasarian Productions, sorry for that ruining of pronunciation, uh, the current owner of the Alvin and the Chipmunks franchise, have been trying to sell the IP for around $300 million. Uh, that's a pretty hefty price tag for what I assume is a dead IP. I don't know why any company would buy that other than maybe maybe Disney. Just to have that in their back pocket, you know, just to have some animated Alvin and the Chipmunks bullshit. But uh, $300 million? Like, is it really worth that? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, I, I, you know, I guess we'll see. I guess if we hear Netflix buying Alvin and the Chipmunks or whatever, we will know it was worth around $300 million. But that was the last piece of news if you want to do albums for the week. Yep. So November 5th. <clears throat> aka today wink um we've got a few albums uh abba for the first time in 40 years is deciding to release a project with 10 new songs all produced by the same whatever the two swedish people benny and bjorn yeah i think it's two swedish people <clears throat> um that bullet for my valentine project the self-titled one uh got pushed back so that's coming out this week instead of last week everybody's hyped for that yep <laughs> i mean <laughs> Raise your hand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we've got, um, oh, what was the fun one? Uh, Steve Perry has got an album coming out. Um, Parcels, um, Radiohead, uh, that's called Kid Amnesia. Or maybe it's Amnesia. I'm not really sure how they're wanting to do it. What's the um, Parcels one called? I closed out the window. Parcels one is day forward slash night. Um, so I'm not sure if it's going to be like a, two-parter or like five songs day five songs night i'm not really sure how they're gotcha. thematic doing it how conceptual it's going to be but um obviously this uh radiohead well maybe it's not obvious but radiohead has had albums in the past one kid a and the other amnesiac this one is kid amnesia um oh. and it's basically just b-sides so it's not like a brand new exactly. It's like a... Like that one Gambino album. Whatever he did. Know, he, he fused the albums or something. It was just B-sides. I don't know. Whatever. I mean, I don't know. Uh, but that's pretty much it. Um, as far as music. Uh, there's a lot more things, but none of them are particularly interesting. Yeah, you can so. look them up yourselves if you care enough. Yeah. What'd you do this week? Well, um, a number of things, but the big one, as far as watching stuff goes, is I started and finished, I think, if a season's 24 episodes, the first season, but if a season's 12 episodes, because they changed the intro and the closing outro. So how it uh, airs, okay, I'm just going to clear this up. So it airs in two parts, so that's why themes usually change, but it's not necessarily like year apart. You know, they can work on like the first half of the season or sorry, work on the second half of the season as the first half is airing. So that's why things are like that with shows like that. Gotcha. Uh, Food Wars. Um, <clears throat> yeah. If if you hate anime, this is a great one to have as satire, especially if you watch it dubbed. Uh, and so that's how I've been enjoying it because uh, I'm usually going to only do subbed. Um, but in the case Ooh. where it's really satirical, uh, I think it's great. Are there moments where it's a little too weirdly sexual? Yes. Yes. And that's what's hilarious. That's the, I mean, that's it is the really funny. Uh, well, well, I know, but sometimes like the hentai, like a little girl getting molested by food is a little you know. too much. <laughs> uh, but. The orgasming from food, I'm okay with. It's the it's the unconsensual aspects to the child molestation that I'm not necessarily okay with. But at the end of the day, it's just food, so you can't really be mad. So you know, um, I'd honestly recommend Food Wars to people who love anime too. Because... No, no, no. So yeah, so I'm saying, sorry, I, yeah, I wanted to clarify that. So 
if you hate anime, this is an anime that I would still probably recommend. If you love anime, you definitely going to like it because it's it's filled with all the great tropes and like, you know, the unfazed protagonist who can come up to any obstacle and somehow still make it through, but it's not quite like as grandiose as something like One Punch Man where he's literally just always one punching something to death. It's a little bit more like but yeah. it's so over the top and all the little cut scenes and everyone's got a fucking nickname. I mean, it, it, it's good. It's good TV as long as you take it on the face value of it being satire. Um, if you try to do any investigation or try to appreciate it for what it isn't, then you're going to really fucking, one, I'll hate you, and two, you're not going to like it. Yeah, no, it, um, it's a fantastic parody show. I mean, if that's what you want, if you want something to make fun of Shonen, then that is the show to do it. That is, There's no other... I mean, there are other ones, but I don't think they do it as well and successfully and then basically turn into a shonen as it's making fun of shonens. I don't think any other show has actually done that. But uh, yeah. Now, here is my question about it. Is it still airing episodes? Yeah, yeah, it is. That's why I quit watching it. Okay, because I was like, Netflix only has so many, but I was like, I feel like this show's been going on since 2015, and this isn't enough episodes to have been going on since 2015. Still going. Okay. Yeah, no, I watched three seasons and quit, because I was just like, you know, I really appreciate this, but I just can't do this to myself. Even if it's making fun of shonens, it's still a shonen at heart. Yeah, I made it through all the way th to the almost end of the fall selection, which is like the first 24 episodes, and then someone's about to face off against seven other people, and I didn't get to watch it. So yeah, tournament. <laughs> yep. Uh otherwise, um I haven't watched a ton of stuff, just random things here and there. I watched I mean, episode I think 2020. 20, I think twenty two episodes of an anime is a I would I think most normal people would say that's a ton of stuff. But yeah, keep going. Keep on. Um Did you hear what I said just now? No. Sorry, repeat. Uh an episode of twenty twenty. When's the last time you watched twenty twenty? Uh since I had access to satellite and or cable, so I don't know, man. <laughs> a so, decade, maybe? More? I think we were looking at something on Hulu, and it was like the first hit, um, because ABC and NBC obviously are tied to Hulu, um, or owned by the same company, whatever. Not NBC, but they were. They used to be tied to Hulu. Right, right. Yeah. Now they have Peacock and all that, but... Yeah. Um, Disney. Yeah. So... 2020 had this episode i don't know if you're familiar at all with this news thing that started happening it was like end of august it got a little traction and then basically all through september and october it was like national news everyone was freaking out about it and then it stirred up a whole nother conversation but this girl went missing named gabby petito oh yeah i mean i literally just now heard about it once it's solved so yeah oh well it's not fully solved but well it's come they get to the guy and they got not really. Well, so isn't he dead or whatever? He's dead, yeah. So right? No, <laughs> mm, they don't know that he killed her, though. Or at least it's not public information yet. I'm just I, saying I it's not solved. It's say. a case closed. There's no big mm. wrap-up. Nice and neat. So, um, anyway, there was a whole episode about that, but um, that was okay. But 2020 kind of blows, in my opinion. It was like... It was an hour for, like, 20 minutes of content. Like, they really milked the shit out of nothing. It was pretty painful. Um, but, yeah, besides that, I really didn't watch anything else. So now let's get to what I listened to. So, obviously, Ed Sheeran. We'll skip that for now. Um, I listened to half the Mick Jenkins project, but I just didn't have a ton of extra time outside of when I was watching all the TV. So I think I like it. But it's difficult for me to say exactly because I haven't listened to Mick in like a hot minute. Mm. And I really didn't care for that circus album, if I remember. See, like I was about EP. to say it's very reminiscent of the circus project he did, for sure. Like, And I didn't hate it. And I think I really liked the Earth Gang song on that project. But I was just like, there's something about it. It wasn't sucking me in. So I was like, I don't want to give this a bad review because I'm not in the right headspace to enjoy it. Um I also put on there that Big Sean Hit Boy collab thing, the What You Expect. It's like five or six songs. That wasn't the worst thing in the world. That's better than anything Big Hit, Sean's put out in a while. Hit Boy, I think, is the reason behind that. The production was crazy, and he's just rapping. It's just bars for the most part. I think there's one song, I think it's the Bryson Tiller one maybe, where he tries to sing a little bit yeah. and does a little bit more R&B shit. But um, 
Yeah, I liked a couple songs off that. Specifically, the first one, I think Chaos was probably the best one. Yep. Um, I and then I added, it. just today, I don't know if you saw it, um, my phone was doing that same thing where I tried to add songs and it wasn't letting me add them. <clears throat> you heard of Tank and the Bangas? Yes, actually. They do uh, nice things. Or nice things, but she says nice things. Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, I really like that song. Yeah, they had a song, Big, um, come out like October this year um and I saw there was like a tiny desk or something um and then I saw this song I was like oh shoot this is, I like I really like this so I put that on there it's pretty good um uh, my old roommate like them already my old roommate saw them live in Lexington just a uh, two years ago wow yeah huh. so yeah so they were around here, like they they have some sort of influence in the sphere of music. Uh, yeah. Anyway, that's all. That's all I got. <laughs> okay, uh, I guess I'll start with music and just say I really listened to the shit out of the Mick Jenkins album. Uh, I was gonna say it's like the circus, which I really like uh, because it's not. Sadly, it's not heavy on any of the catchiness that he can do. Uh, he is definitely able to. He had that one album with the the mirror uh he's looking at a mirror a shattered mirror uh pieces uh, of a man yeah pieces of a man there we go that album had all the hits like all the catchy stuff all, you know everything he can actually do but this was how many water B&D. references were there in this album there's actually not a ton there's actually not a ton <laughs> in comparison to the healing component and uh what, 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 P's and Q's or whatever right. project P's and Q's is the on. actual the water. Yeah. 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 So, you know, it, it definitely toned down on that stuff. Even pieces of a man had a lot of water references, but uh, yeah, I think this one in the circus, he's kind of just, just getting into the bars, getting into the actual criticisms of today's society and stuff. And it, that's where he shines a lot of the time. So, you know, I really appreciate the album. Uh, yeah. I listened to, that Big Sean thing, whatever. And that's really all my music. But I watched an anime called Tower of God on HBO Max. Uh, it's all right. It's low frame rate animation, which you can look past because it has an amazing visual style and uh, color palette, which is nice. But the story's kind of meh. Just kind of kind of, kind of anime, sci-fi anime kind of thing going. Uh, whatever. I'm a tower, get a wish. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. And there's some anime backstory and stuff, some twists and turns, uh, you know, the deal. And then awesome. I started and almost finished the first season of Do Ra Ra Ra, which is another anime. And it's all that yeah, on Netflix. Yeah, it's different. It's very different. Like, it feels like a sitcom, but it happens to be a dark fantasy story within modern day Tokyo. Uh, but it, it feels like a sitcom in that it balances all these characters' stories. There's literally, there's probably three or four main characters, but then there's at least 12 in the main cast. So there are a lot of stories that are just, they're playing a balancing act. So it kind of feels like a sitcom in that way, or like a primetime drama. But then it's just very anime, very smooth. It's got jazz in it. Uh, it's got a, It's got a killer audio design and music design. And I don't know, it's got a vibe. So I, I, I'll have my full verdict once I finish the first season and if I watch the second season, but who knows. And I think that's all I did. I want to say I watched a movie, but it must have not been good enough to care about. So we can move on Classic. to the reviews. Yeah. Um, sorry. Um. Which thing do we want to do first, or just to keep it the classic formula? Let's just keep for us, it the or? classic, I guess. Yeah, equals by Ed Sheeran. Uh, I'll just start this off. I may you have think to. Rec- it's more worthwhile that you do that. Yeah, I, I may have to recuse myself uh, from some of this criticism because this is just not my music whatsoever, man. I it was it was a chore for me to listen to this album all the way through two times because you know. I want to give it its fair shake. You know, I don't, I don't want to just because I don't love the music doesn't mean I'm going to just skip through it. Uh, but it came off as very that one Killers album we reviewed. Not, not, really? Not in the same ways. Definitely not the same ways or the same sound. It's just, it's just like corny. As like yeah, a word it's just kind of, yeah, it's <laughs> just, it, it felt very one note for me. I, I didn't get anything out of this. Uh, it felt like Ed Sheeran just being Ed Sheeran and... 
I, I think I'm especially hard on this album because we did have a pop album this year that uh, we both really liked. Which Transformational was, for you specifically, yeah, but yeah, we both found uh, really good. Yeah, we both really liked, and that was proof of concept that uh, you know pop music can be something else. And even even Halsey's album wasn't you know bad at all. Right. Uh, it had some themes and meanings and stuff underneath, but I just didn't get that from this. This felt all very surface level, very... Would you go as far as to say you thought this was bad? Yeah. It's your opinion. You're allowed yeah. to say what you want. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was thinking, I was thinking, uh, I was thinking of bad is really... Yeah, it was just so samey, even though, even though I could tell there was some of that sonic diversity that we uh, like to, uh, you know, hype up for albums. There was some of that, you know, it, it did creep into R&B sometimes and it did creep into the singer songwritery slowness, but it just, it didn't lean into any of that. You know, it was just like one song. Okay. Back to Ed Sheeran, you know, here's one. Okay. Back to just Ed Sheeran. And I, I don't know, man, not, not my favorite at all whatsoever. Very middling yeah. for me. As one of Ed Sheeran's biggest fans of all time. Um, I actually pr- I go back and forth. As an album, if we just consider it as an album, I think it's okay. At this point, he's had four studio albums, um, four real albums, and he's had a bunch of little projects in between. Um, he's had Plus, he's had Times, he's had Divide, he's had Equals. I think Equals ranks either second or third for me. Um, I think for sure Divide is fourth, and that was the most recent one. So as a fan who was like oh man Ed Sheeran's kind of falling off now to me like he's still is he a good writer is he still influencing pop music in a large way yes is he making good cohesive albums I thought no after Divide I was like this is bad I don't like this album at all going into this one is it more cohesive yes are there songs I love yes is it a good album Mm. it is a okay album and for fans of Ed Sheeran you'll find it good to great is how I would say one of these um, albums again, eh? Yeah, and so I'm torn because there are some of, I would say, top 15 Ed Sheeran songs on this album for me, and he has a lot of music. I mean, most of his albums are like these 14 long things, and then he's got a million of those collab projects. Um, I didn't realize but, he's been doing it for 10 years now. Like, Jesus, Ed Sheeran's been yeah. in our lives for 10 years. Yeah, and successful for those 10, oh, which yeah. is crazy. Yeah, <clears throat> um, I think... I forget where I heard heard this, but I've been consuming a lot of Ed Sheeran stuff because he's been doing a lot of promo on YouTube and stuff. Um, I think he has the most record sales of any person since, like, Michael Jackson. And he might have even surpassed really? Michael Jackson. Yeah. The streaming like like, account into that? I assume so. Streaming's got to be so weird when you're counting numbers such as that. I mean, yeah, because, like, he's got several songs with you know 700 million, million. Yeah, yeah, yeah no no two billion or more oh shape you know, of you has think... nearly three billion like probably by the end of this year we'll have three billion it's two nine five eight it's a lot of plays you know a lot of plays <laughs> <laughs> so i'm like like he's just he's larger than life um and so when you're at that scale it's kind of hard to be critical because i mean clearly he's doing something right for that many people to really like his music you know what i mean so true but with that being said, I think there are a number of songs on this album that I think are some of his worst ever. Um, specifically, I really don't like Joker and the Queen. Um, I also think Sandman I don't particularly hate. I just hate that this sounds, you know, you know what I, the comparison I was going to make? What? It's very logic-y. Wow. In the sense <laughs> that he goes, he goes, oh, I'm a dad, and here's a bedtime song I wrote for my baby, and I'm that's a dad a, now. Like, look at my dad. It's like Chance the Rapper. Yes, same, like, Chance oh, the Rapper. Yes, 100%. <laughs> that's the vibe I was getting this whole time was, uh, what, what was that album? I don't even know. Chance's album? Big that, Summer, something like that? Whatever it was. It was so forgettable that I don't even, like, at day. all. The, the Big, big day. day. Okay. Uh, yeah, I was getting very Big Day vibes from this. So I, I was curious how an Ed Sheeran fan like yourself would take to the album. So, so I got I got hints of that, whiffs of it. You know, it, it would percolate for a little bit, and then all of a sudden it would dissipate. So some of the singles I initially hated, but they've done that classic pop earworm thing where I'm like, dude, Bad Habits and Shivers are absolute <laughs> bangers. 
I will listen to those every day and not complain at all. Like, I think it's so good. But I think my actual favorite songs are um, Tides, uh, Overpass Graffiti, and um, Visiting Hours, with an honorable mention to Two Step, because I quite like Ed Sheeran's rapping. Um, I know many people don't and find it cringe, but I like it, so. I don't really have a problem with it. Um, but honorable mention to Two Step, because it's not his greatest rap performance but it's really the only one on the album um but i mean him with a guitar just singing love songs i mean you can't really go wrong and tides uh overpass graffiti are both that and then sad ed sheeran is also really good and that's visiting hours so all in all i would say i'm pretty satisfied with the album um i don't know if you're ready to give it a score or not yeah I mean, i'm ready long. to give it a score are you ready yeah, i want to hear your score first because we'll have to do the average i'm sure oh and yeah we're dead well because yeah, well, because this is on the cusp of like bad, bad. So I'm a five, five, just five, five. Okay, no, boom, that's, I, that's five, five. I thought you were gonna go like a four or a three. Um, I mean, see, it wasn't as offensive as the Killers album, uh, Machine right. Box Machine something, whatever that doesn't Free matter. Machine, Bruce Free Springsteen. Machine, uh, Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> yeah, Bruce Springsteen's Free Machine. Uh, it wasn't as offensive as that. It just felt very lackluster. Sure, Machine. What was it? Pressure machine. Pressure machine, whatever. Uh, I was thinking free guy. I got it. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was just very lackluster. That's how I would define this in a non-Ed Sheeran Stan role. Just lackluster. So 5-5 five, five for me. What, what would you? I was going to go 7-7-5. Seven, seven, I'd probably go 7-5 because I want to factor in That's a 6-5. That's how averages I, work, right? I was going to say, I want to I wanna put in my... Uh, my bias a little bit. I think if I took away my bias, it'd probably be a seven. Um, this is a democracy, John. So you're yeah, allowed. So I think to, five, yeah. five. I think five five um, is six a, five. or six five is a fair uh, thing. Um, I want to do a quick note before we move to the movie that uh, you Fantano want. did a review and I didn't listen to it, but I fast forwarded until he gave it a number. He gave this a two out of ten. Uh, called it like derivative bullshit and basically derivative is a for, very good word for it talking about um his wife and there's like a line i think it's maybe in tides or maybe it's in first times but he's talking about uh how he used to just do it for the numbers and fantano was like does used to mean like last week or does it mean like <laughs> and i was uh, like okay that's pretty funny am i fantano am i fa- i didn't know that i yeah, must be you are. you're a big fantano fan actually. i'm the bi- you're, a you know, you're capital F-A-N, Tano, because okay. you're a fan of Fantano. And let's move with a 6-5. Let's move on to our surprise pick this week, uh, The Harder yeah, They Fall, fun. Netflix original Western movie directed by... Someone. By... Oh, see the interns? <laughs> interns, do you have anything? Uh, interns? Why, why are they so slow? I don't yeah, know. very, very quiet over there. Well, here's, here's the weird thing: is because they keep telling me this word that it says the bullets, but who are the bullets? The bullets is a British singer songwriter named James Samuel. James Samuel. Okay, directed by James Samuel. Uh, yeah, whatever. Uh, do you want to start with this one? That is so weird. I'm so curious now. How did I not know anything about this guy and he directed this movie? I mean, he's forty-two. What in the? <laughs> is that like? Uh, well, he lo- the pictures that Google pulled up looks like he's like twenty-six. Oh, okay. His name's the Bullets. So that's definitely a name. That's a moniker, um, all right. Anyway, uh, well, before we deep dive into that as well, I want to make another disclaimer. Uh, it's not the French Dispatch because Noah's a piece of shit. So that'll be next week. I am uh, not a piece of shit. Uh, the French he Dispatch. He lives in a piece of shit just, town. Excuse me. There you go. There you go. <laughs> the uh, the limited release was, let's say, too limited for me to review. So Netflix, it is, baby. Um. So yeah, the harder they fall. Um, I knew nothing about this. I think we discussed it a little bit on the podcast a while back. It's finally out. Um, I think we talked about Regina King and Idris Elba being cast. Yep. I think the summary will be, for me, the kind of highlights here, bullet points before we deep dive. Um, All black cast, for the most part. I mean, there's white people in it, but all black cast, tremendous. Um, And it's a star-studded black cast of actors who I feel like can almost do no wrong, um, and I always want to view pretty much all their projects. Um, I'm not sure who the main guy was. I don't know what I know him from. Um, I'm not sure if you do off the top of your head. Uh, yeah, he was in Loki. 
Oh, yeah, I, see, I haven't watched Loki. See, he had okay. a surprise. Jonathan role. Major or something yeah. like that. Lovecraft Country. He was in Lovecraft Country. I haven't watched that either, bro. Well, I didn't. Well, that one's bad. I wouldn't recommend Lovecraft Country. That's what I've heard. But anyway, I would recommend anyway. Loki. Um, it's a great all black cast. Uh, tremendous take on the western. It almost feels in the same vein as um, like a Tarantino, uh, like Django or Tarantino, um, Hateful Eight. Um, very comedy-ridden, but it's also got the spaghetti western feels. Um, this seems like everything that uh, Clint Eastwood wanted his movie to be. <laughs> um, but obviously, Can we not talk about that movie? because he's racist. Uh, I don't know. I I was pleasantly surprised coming with almost zero expectations because I forgot this movie even was going to exist. Um, my one negative big criticism would probably be about um damon wayans but other than that uh you know if you have any things yeah you okay to say, yeah no I'll, I'll, yeah as a as a big western guy or well probably not like right now but as a fan of western movies uh i really liked what it did it felt like a nice modernization of it and like you said it took notes from tarantino i also think it took a lot of notes from uh eastwood's unforgiven which was forever ago but i think its biggest influence i want to maybe a hot take here is 310 to yuma uh which mm. was james mangold's mm-hmm. western with russell crowe i yeah I do think 310 Yuma was a better movie, but I think this movie was able to use some of that with more modern camera work uh, to, I mean, make a pretty successful movie. I, I wouldn't write home about this and say this is the greatest thing I've ever seen, but it's no. it's definitely worth watching uh, if you're slightly interested in any of these actors or in a modern Western because, I mean, as, as weird as it is, I don't think we get a lot of uh, uh, serviceable westerns these days. I, I'm sure we get a ton of western movies, but not a lot of serviceable ones. So it's nice when that actually happens. Uh, it it does character development pretty well. I think it, it actually succeeds a lot in that. Like they're able to just balance these characters and give you a feel for them in a very short amount of time. You know, not with a lot of scenes, as opposed to. I don't know, some of the movies we saw, like, like, uh, uh, Many Saints of Newark, uh, you know, that, that had a lot of characters, but didn't balance them well at all. It didn't develop anything for those characters. Whereas this, there felt like there were some grave stakes, you know, there, there was a journey for a couple characters, maybe not every character, but you know, uh, some development did happen. So when I think every character was written pretty uniquely, whether they developed or changed or had an arc is debatable, but I don't think anyone was um unnecessary there which i think is good especially in again a movie with so many high build actors like it can be a little bit too much but i think everyone served a good purpose uh, yeah and yeah. did play their parts well i i want to i want to hype up jonathan majors he freaking killed it in this movie uh he killed it in loki even though he was only there for like 20 minutes uh this man i i think he's on a roll uh, i'll be glad to see him in more things uh hopefully and uh, he was a great main character, uh, Zazie Beats. Uh, she did her. I don't think her character was especially crazy, but I think she brought what she could to it. Uh, and I do want to say, it was it was one scene when uh, Idris Elba's uh, Rufus character, when he uses the gun to hit the guy. You know what I'm saying? When he when, uh-huh. uh, yeah, he's beating the shit out of the yeah 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 yeah. But when it does when it does the tracking shot on the back of the gun, it did this weird thing where it, like spliced footage, and so it just cut instead of actually being a smooth tracking shot, it like cut twice, and that really stood out to me. I'm not sure if that was even a thing for you or whatever. Uh, yeah, I just want to talk any about. Yeah, I just want to talk about how that was kind of a failure in that sense, but it didn't really detract from the actual movie itself. Uh, you know, the the plot was kind of, I don't know, kind of simplistic. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't overdrawn or anything, or it didn't seem like it was too derivative of past westerns. It was definitely influenced by past westerns, like for sure, uh, without a doubt. But it did its own things, you know, it did it with its own style, whether it's the scene transitions or the set design. Uh, I really liked Rufus's house with all the blue and the blue dancer. I, I really enjoyed all that look. Uh, the white town, 
I thought that was great. That was uh, that was very yeah. Like the sand's white. Like everything's white. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that was an excellent way to just convey that in a very obvious and blunt way without uh, detracting from the feel of the movie. Uh, if anything, it just gave it more of a vibe. But I will say, I you know, I didn't love some things about this movie. It's like this movie's good, but I didn't love a lot. You know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, I completely agree. Whether it be what, the, what the, were the the twist things that you did love. Oh, the things I did. I mean, I think I. I mean, the Jonathan Majors, his whole character. Uh, I, I like the Marshall Rivers. I think was his name. Uh, what? Whatever Rivers. Uh, yeah, uh, that teeth. guy. No, the Marshall Marshall with the double revolvers who arrested him. Oh, pretend oh. To arrest him. Uh, yeah, Delroy Lindo or whatever. Bass Reeves, Bass Reeves. Yeah, Bass Reeves. Uh, yeah, I really, I, I, I like the characters in this movie. I think I really loved some of the characters in this movie, and that's where it shined for me. And you know, even it's quick. I, you know, Tarantino like dialogue. Uh, it, it did that pretty well. Other, I'd say, I think the beginning was kind of rough for me. Uh, but then it leveled out into a good movie. I think the beginning was a little, I don't know, a little patchy. It, it felt like there were there were some scenes that didn't really have a good uh, cohesive feel to it. So, you know, those are some of the things I did love, but a really big thing I didn't love was the whole twist. Yeah. I thought that built up, or sorry, there was no build up to that uh, whatsoever. It didn't feel like there was any sort of, you know, I don't want to spoil the, the, the big thing, but I will spoil it. It didn't feel like there was any development as far as him being related to Idris Elba. There was absolutely no hints of it, I don't think. Um, I think the only threads were very, very subtle to the point where it seems like that might not have been the initial intent. Like, he very well could have just been a really evil bad guy, and the only motivation was he, you know, like... Were there lingering questions of why he killed his parents? Yes. Was the obvious answer that they're related? No, because the age difference seems pretty great, and the parents didn't seem that old when they had him. So, like, unless his dad was really young when he had him as the first kid, you know what I'm saying? But either way, um, I think the real threads that hinted at it were, like, when he picked up the ring and he kept it, you know? But that could have just been a souvenir, you know, it could have been uh, an evil thing to do to take away the wedding ring. I mean, it could have been number or engagement ring. Um, I think the other one was the fact that obviously he didn't kill him and he put a, a scar on his forehead and the scars in the shape of a cross. Um, and so, like, what's the purpose behind that? Like, his dad's a preacher, but why the cross? You know, why the... Why the and scar, really? Does, and it doesn't really hint to brotherhood or anything, but that would hint to their connection, obviously. Yeah. So... Uh, yeah, see, that's I think that takes me into my biggest complaint, which is the character of Rufus Buck, which is Idris Elba's main villain. Uh, it, he seemed menacing, but it seemed a little forced. It didn't seem like he actually did anything in the movie other than the times where, I mean, other than the beginning, like, you know, the main setup where we didn't really see him do anything. We just saw the hands, you know, uh, the allusion to him doing something. Uh, it just... I don't know. He didn't come off as a big villain to me. Almost, almost like Rami Malek in uh, uh, No Time to Die. It, it felt like he was just having other people do the thing. So that came off as I don't know. Is he that bad? You know, like okay, he's yeah, trying to like, rebuild a town, or how is he trying f- to rebuild the town? What was that about? I feel like yeah. I feel like they moved thirty minutes of the movie in the wrong place. I think they moved that thirty minutes in the beginning what was previously 30 minutes like in the middle or end to the beginning to kind of establish reasons why all the characters were going to join forces and who's where and why um as opposed to like any purpose of Idris Elba you know so they did all the beginning stuff of the who's when's where why they moved time from the end to the time in the beginning um but they didn't really focus on Idris Elba's character or purpose and so he was made to seem menacing but he wasn't like you said and then yeah, why is he rebuilding a town? He almost seems like an anti-hero, you know, trying to build a paradise for black people is what it seems. And, you know, yes, is he going to be a mobster of the town? Is he going to be, um, what's the term I'm looking for? But like a a, a monarch, you know, of the town, um, probably. But Bizarre. does he have what it seems like the group's best intentions? Yes, like it didn't seem like regular town folk he was out to kill unless they defied the greater good you know so 
it, it was it evil, of course, but was it horrific? Was it menacing? Not particularly, like, unless this is a strange guise of communism bad, which seems weird. Um, <laughs> well, but, you know, yeah, I mean, I, I think exactly like you're saying, in so of establishing moral ambiguity and, oh, is anyone really the villain? Which I appreciate, I really do. But in this case, it came off as, is anybody really the villain? You know, right. <laughs> like, yeah. in a way, yeah, I was you're... like, I was like, why are we killing anybody? Really, like, yeah, you killed his parents, but then the big reveal happens, and he's like semi, like the whole end. I really just was like, mm. yeah, it was kinda. very lackluster. Yep, yep, and um, and uh, his his whole egging him on or whatever to do what he yeah, did. Kill me, just... take your vengeance. Yeah, I, I don't. It it felt it felt very out of character for both characters in a weird way. It felt like instead of a chance for both of them to grow and kind of develop a little with that, it reverted them back and a step or two. So I don't know, you know, I, I think this was a good movie. I just don't think it was anything fantastic, sadly, uh, because I think there's a lot of direction that was great. There, uh, the soundtrack, I thought a lot of the time was great, but I will say there was some of the soundtrack where it took me out of the mood of the actual action uh like the pre-climax with the big explosion the big wagon explosion and the quick duel or the quick draw duel the music choice was really weird and kind of took me out of it 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 chose for a licensed song instead of you know original score or anything so it felt kind of weird uh i I did appreciate lakeith stanfield and his character I'll, i'll shout him out because he he did his thing and i really liked that character i think that character was really cool yeah, see, that's. Uh, yeah. I was wondering if that was going to be in your loves because we hadn't talked about him at all yet. Um, my two, I think, favorite parts or favorite things about the movie were actually not Jonathan Major. I mean, he did a great job, but I wasn't, like, overly impressed. My two favorite things were Lucky Stanfield and R.J. Seiler, I guess, or Jim Beckworth, the other quick-draw guy, and, like, their little rivalry. Um, I think he brought a lot of comedic relief, and he had a lot of that quick dialogue about like you know oh i'm gonna do my mom what, 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 the, what the fuck are you going i'm like i want to shoot you that kind of thing and then um lakeith kind of just being like a somber badass like slow talker but then he's also known for being a quick draw um also shout out to cuffy whoever that was yeah, um yeah no yeah she I, was, I think all three of those there. characters being quick draws i mean that's kind of like the classic cowboy badass you know for lack of a better term because i don't think this is actually what it should be called but the mexican standoff thing like it's dope uh, what else can you call it? I don't like, I, uh, probably just a standoff, you know, like yeah, half of okay. them that I've seen or more aren't, aren't Mexican at all. There's right, no Mexican component to it. Um, but yeah, I think those three characters for me were probably the highlights of the movie. But like I said, Damon Wayans, man, that was bad. Why? Yeah. I don't, I don't, yeah. Yep. It was I, corny. The laugh, maniacal laugh was bad. The fucking yellow teeth bullshit. Like him popping up at so, the end for not really a good reason or a sellable reason to me right yeah uh, i was yeah. just like why yeah. it felt like an excuse to have some more action and stuff which is never good when you're in a movie and you're thinking why why you know why is there more action here <laughs> but uh yeah do you want to give it a score because i had a seven to seven five i was gonna say seven five i was seven five on both well, I, I mean like, we, we can do bad. a seven five yeah great. i think this one was totally totally seven five level honestly uh definitely recommendable if you're in the mood for it but if you want a movie to change your life probably just don't i don't know you know whatever uh yeah do you want to say anything else about the movie thank god for idris elba yeah man thank he idris kills elba it. for idris elba he kills it every time he should be in every movie ever just in some facet some sort of way uh dude so you know that tv show in his american accent i just want to say his american Sucks accent dick Oh no. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, Luther. No, that's it. <laughs> okay. Okay. I just said uh, Luther sex dick, but that was just to piss you off. Wow. I mean, it 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 piss off uh, one of our friends more than me, but I mean, it's wrong. It's definitely wrong. Luther's a great show, and it yourself is an amazing actor, and doesn't deserve any of your hate. But that will be it. Dark for... Tower. Yeah, I never saw that one, so he might deserve that one, though. He might deserve that. I'll give you that. Okay. He wasn't even a problem in that movie. The problem was the movie, so. Yeah, I mean, Matthew McConaughey and Idris Elba, like, you guys. I know, it shows on no wrong. And Ron Howard, bro, come on. Oh, did Ron Howard direct that? 
No, he produced. Oh, but. well, but, I mean, he's not, I don't I think. I think if Ron Howard's tied to the project, I'm sure he's got some input. He's Ron fucking Howard, okay? Yeah, and that's probably the problem, because Ron Howard hasn't done an amazing movie in a while. He's done, like, okay movies and watchable things, but I can't tell you the last time it was, you know, damn, Ron Howard did that. Uh, you know, who cares? But that will be it for episode 53 of The Worst Critics. Join us next week as we actually review Wes Anderson's The French Dispatch and Lana Del Rey's Blue Bannisters. That'll be for it for episode 53. As always, I'm No Davis. I'm John Pino. And we're out of here.